year ago we celebrated our 10th anniversary. As I concluded the message last anniversary Sunday, I used an analogy of a 747 in describing our church. And I said we were something like a 747 that is filled with people lumbering down the runway which had not quite yet gained power to take off. I did not realize at the time what that picture seemed to spark in many hearts. It's been referred to a number of times over the last year. This morning, I am pleased to be able to say to you that something dramatic is in the process of happening at Grace Church. By God's goodness, that 747 is picking up speed and is approaching the point of takeoff. What has happened to create this change in the last year? I would point to a number of, of things. First of all, I would say that there has been an increased response in the heart of many people toward prayer. Over the last year, we've had perhaps a half dozen church-wide prayer meetings, which have been attended by 20 to 50 people, depending upon the night and the occasion. Another one is coming up shortly, in just two weeks. Those times of concentrated prayer together have been precious in the sight of God. And I believe that God has answered prayer in the last year in our midst. In the spring last year, we talked about becoming shareholders in the work of God. We've called us 621 shareholders based upon Matthew 621. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And hundreds of us made specific commitments before God to indicate that we, in fact, see ourselves as shareholders in His work in the world and in our local church. In the last year, a number of new staff members have come. We've had new key gifted leadership arrive on the scene. And that has begun to spark something brand new. We've attempted some innovative approaches to ministry, including the, the summer outdoor worship service that was widely received in our congregation, which we plan to do again. I believe the survey indicated that something like 80% of you voted to continue the summer outdoor worship service as a significant ministry in our church. There is a broadening involvement in evangelism, which is most encouraging. And Bob was correct this morning in saying that the mission that we've articulated in the last three weeks is not new. Perhaps we're saying it in a bit of a different way, but that has been our goal from the beginning, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And increasingly, we are seeing more and more people in our church involved in that in some significant way the forming of that mission statement, the use of the, the vision diagram that we've been talking about seems to have captured a lot of hearts. God is doing something new in our midst, and the things I've just talked about are bits and pieces of that. But at the root of it all is the work of God, is, is the work of the Holy Spirit stirring us up in a fresh way. Last year I described to you a church that I would envision a church known for practicing prayer, for penetrating culture, 
prioritizing missions, perfecting holiness, preserving peace, providing acceptance, and proclaiming Christ as Lord. And I believe that that church is more realized today in Grace Church than it's ever been in our 11 years. We certainly haven't arrived. We have a long way to go, but God is working. The journey is underway. And since this 747, if I may continue that analogy at least for today, is nearing the point of takeoff, we need to get our bearings for the journey. I hope in the last three weeks we have learned something more about our destination, about our goal as a church, where we're off to. But we need to get our bearings this morning so that we don't miss the destination, the mission, the purpose that we've tried to talk about and articulate. We need a guidance system that will unfailingly get us to our destination, that will enable us, by God's grace, to fulfill our assignment. I invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12 as we examine a crucial point in Israel's history. A time of transition in that ancient nation. Samuel has just anointed Saul to be the king of Israel. You may recall that that was not God's perfect will for the nation. He was their king. But they asked him for a king, and so God graciously acceded to their request, though they had gotten ahead of God's plan. Samuel, in obedience to God, anointed Saul to be the king. And he has just gained the first great victory for the nation. The question arises in the heart of Samuel, will this nation now trust in their king, who has given them the victory, or will they trust in the Lord? And so he calls them together at a significant place called Gilgal. And there he met with them. And he spoke God's heart to them, reminding them of what God had done in their history. And at a point of what seems to be something of a new beginning for the nation, at least a new era, he establishes with them what some have called a constitution. He reminds them that they are to trust the Lord. And obey the king. God confirmed the words of Samuel by sending a storm that was completely out of season. And when the people saw this storm, they knew that God was speaking through Samuel. They repented of their error, of getting ahead of God. They were concerned about their sinfulness. God gives them some words of reassurance through Samuel. Whatever the past had included, whether it be times of faithfulness or times when they had gotten ahead of him and failed him, as they had in asking for a king, God would still bless their future if they would be obedient. 
The chapter concludes with these words that we'll read, beginning in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 12. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king shall be swept away. Samuel tells the nation, your future is still secure. But it depends upon three parties, each of whom had a contribution to make to that future and that security. There was God. There was Samuel himself as the prophet priest. Samuel, who was the transition figure from the time of the judges in Israel to their kingdom. And then there was the congregation, the people, along with their king. I believe by way of application, a similar assurance is given to us today as well as a similar warning. The future of Grace Church Roseville is secure and will be blessed by God depending upon three parties who each have a contribution to make to that future. There's God, there's the spiritual leadership of the church, obviously there's not an exact parallel to a prophet-priest like Samuel in our day, but we do have spiritual leaders in our church. And then there is all of us as a congregation. Those are the three parties. You and I are on a great journey with God. As a congregation of people, in a certain sense, on this, our 11th anniversary, we are just beginning a new era of ministry. Our bearings for the journey that is before us, that is still in our future, are found in the three contributions that each of these parties that I've named must make. Great jetliners, as they fly over the ocean, have highly advanced systems of guidance. The officers in the cockpit punch in certain codes to the computer, and that navigation system that is in the plane locks into celestial bodies or into satellites, and the result is because of the comparison of the readings punched into that computer in the plane. As it flies out over the thousands of miles of the ocean, it does not lose its place. And it arrives at its destination safely because it had its bearings for its journey. What I want to talk to you about this morning are the bearings for our journey. Each of the three parties that I've named has a bearing to give for our journey. 
Let's think about the contribution of God, God's part. In his faithfulness, God will preserve us. We have that blessing. We have that word of assurance. Regarding ancient Israel, God had chosen them to be his people. And that emphasis is clear in verse 22. They were his people, identified with him. And so it is true today. According to God's free and sovereign choice, we are his people. Not only we, but we are one church of God's people. God has identified his testimony, his name in the world with us as a congregation. Now that's sobering. We, in a similar sense as ancient Israel, are identified with the name of God. So great is God's act of redemption on our behalf that he is pleased to tie his reputation to you and to me. Therefore, God has made a commitment to us. And to us, as he said to ancient Israel, I will not abandon you. For my name is identified with you. Jesus said, all power is given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing, teaching them. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's his promise. Here's God's part. In his faithfulness, God will preserve us. God will bless us. Now that's like the North Star in our bearing. It doesn't move. It's always there. That's God's part. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is our helper. That's God's part. You and I can find assurance and guidance in this truth. It is one of the bearings for our journey. Let's lock on to it. That God is faithful, as we have just sung. And God will not abandon his people for his great namesake. We need a second bearing for our journey, and it's provided by the spiritual leaders of our church. In their faithfulness, our spiritual leaders will support us. The prophet priest Samuel acknowledged his responsibility to them before God. A responsibility that he boiled down to two. To pray for them and to teach them the good and the right way. That is the way of God, the word of God. That is the essence of of the responsibility of spiritual leaders in this age as well. To pray for the people of God and to teach the people of God the way of the Lord. Now today we are all priests. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We are all royal priests. We are a holy priesthood unto God. 
There isn't someone like Samuel in that sense today. We all have direct access to God. He's opened the way to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. But God has appointed within the holy priesthood order and organization. God has appointed in this age that there be two offices established within his priesthood. The office of elder, the office of deacon. The elder is the one who is responsible for superintending, for overseeing the work of God, for giving guidance, ruling over, in a godly sense, the people of God. The elder. The one who is to be esteemed and loved because of his work. And then there are deacons. The word means servants. Those who in some manner come alongside the elders and help carry out the function of leadership within the church. Who administrate and manage the royal priesthood of God. Those who are filling the offices of elder and deacon in the church need to do so with the grace of God upon them, exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit as well as the Holy Spirit's power. Those who are the spiritual leaders of the church are to establish the direction of the church. They're responsible to God for that. They're shepherds. And they are to minister to the body by both prayer and teaching. I think we see that illustrated in Acts 6 when the apostles appoint a group of people to look after a certain issue that had arisen in the church. Giving us a foreshadowing, I think, of the purpose of deacons. So that they, the apostles, could give themselves to the word of God and to prayer. Now, elders are not apostles, but they share that same kind of responsibility as apostles had in the early age of the church. The word of God and prayer, that's the heart of their responsibility. For their part, the spiritual leaders of Grace Church Roseville, in faithfulness, need to, and I believe will, support us as a congregation of people. If they fail, we will not come to our destination. We will get off course. That spiritual bearing is essential. But there's a third party that is involved in ancient Israel and today. There's the part of the congregation, the contribution that all of us make together. In faithfulness, we, by the grace of God, will honor the Lord. What does it mean to honor the Lord? Well, Samuel seems to outline for us what I would summarize as meaning honoring the Lord. He says to the congregation, only fear the Lord. There's where it begins. Fear. Not terror, but respect. Reverence is the word I would use as a synonym. What does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? It means to have reverence of the Lord. 
to have a sober realization of who God is and what our relationship to him is. I hope as a result of the last year of preaching, as we talked about the God that we worship and the good gifts God has given to us and the new us, who we are in light of that, that there's a deeper sense of the fear of God in our hearts. And having understood some of these things, that we are now giving God more and more his proper place in our lives. To serve him, to worship him, to place him above all others. <clears throat> to fear the Lord means to see all of life in relation to God. And to let our respect of who God is and our reverence for God be the driving motivation of all that we do. That's what it means to honor the Lord. That's our part. But there's more. He says, secondly, serve the Lord. First we started with reverence. Now we come to responsibility. It's more than an attitude of heart. It must be expressed in the life. Life itself is a stewardship. God has committed to us abilities and privileges and opportunities and resources so that we might make a difference in the world so that we might touch the lives of others and do good. What does it mean to serve the Lord? It means to see all of life as lived unto the Lord. Not just part of it that we would call sacred and the rest of it is secular, but seeing all of life as sacred and as our duty unto God because we are priests. And he tells us to do that in truth, that is, sincerely and faithfully, to do it with all of our hearts, holding nothing back, to do it wholeheartedly. As the people of God, we want to honor him by our reverence, by our deep sense of responsibility, and thirdly, by Samuel's words here, by our remembrance. Samuel says to them, remember, consider what great things he has done for you. The word consider is a very broad word. It means to see, to look, to appear, to show. The idea is to keep in your mind's eye what God has done for you. Don't lose sight of that. And show it to yourself over and over again. And show it to others. Consider what the Lord has done for you. That's why it's good for us to have occasions like anniversaries. When we look back and we see the hand of God. As you and I do this, we will be encouraged in our faith in the trying moments of future days. It's interesting to me that Samuel called the people to come to Gilgal for this time of renewal in their commitment. This orientation time as they were beginning a new era in their life as a nation with a king and a kingdom. Because it was at Gilgal that there was a certain pile of stones which God had them place there 
to be a perpetual reminder to them for generations to come of what he had done at the River Jordan when he brought them across in entering the land. He wanted them to remember that pile of stones and to remember what God had done when they met at Gilgal. I wonder if they didn't meet around that pile of stones. Consider what the Lord has done for you. Now, we don't have a pile of stones here today, but we have in our hearts memories. And we can go back to those memories and we can see what God has done. And as we see that, we will remember the faithfulness of God. And when the challenges come in the future, we can draw upon that for strength in our faith. God has led us in the past. God has answered prayer in the past, and he will do it in the future. We can know that. We can know that. So the part of the congregation is to honor the Lord. And I want to tell you something. If we fail, we will not get to our destination. God can be faithful and do his part. The spiritual leaders can be faithful and do their part. But if we as a congregation fail, we'll lose our way in the journey. We need all three bearings. And as those bearings are in place and that 747 takes off and that navigational system kicks in and God does his part and the spiritual leaders are faithful in their part and all of us as a congregation are faithful in our part, the result is that we're going to arrive at that destination. We'll see the mission accomplished. We need our bearings for the journey. It's time to start. The plane's just about in the air. I want to close the service this morning by doing something that no one knows about. And when you leave here, don't tell anybody. God's here. And God says he's going to do his part. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. What about you who are spiritual leaders in our church? I would like to ask those who are elders, who are pastoral staff members or ministry staff members, and who are deacons or deaconesses in our various commissions to come forward right here in the front and join me on the floor. Would you do that, please? Just slip out of your seat. If you're in the service, pastoral staff members, elders, deacons, and deaconesses who serve as the core of our spiritual leadership, to be sure the spiritual leadership is broader than this. But here's the core of it. And I want to ask you who are spiritual leaders in our church before God on this, our 11th anniversary, if you are willing to do what God wants you to do as a spiritual leader in our church, the heart of which, I mean, it goes beyond this, as we all know, but the heart of which is prayer and the teaching of God's people and the shepherding of God's people and and the variety of ways in which he's called us to serve him. Are you willing? I knew you would be, especially up here in front. (laughs) I didn't doubt. I want to ask you as a congregation, 
Are you willing to do your part? Are you willing to say on this 11th anniversary, as one of the congregation of the people of God whom he's chosen, I'm saying, by God's grace, I want to seek to honor him in my life. For his glory and for the sake of the mission, the, the journey that we're on with God. I want to ask you to stand right now where you are. If you're visiting, obviously, this doesn't apply to you. And we wouldn't ask you to stand. We don't want to embarrass you. And don't feel hesitant to remain seated. This is for our congregation. And we're saying before God, Oh God, we're willing to do our part. We know you are. Now lead on. Let's bow together. I'm going to ask everyone to stand, please. Heavenly Father, you see our response outwardly and inwardly. And on this holy day, as we remember and consider what the Lord has done, and as we ponder the future and the new era that's beginning in our midst, we want to say to you that we, by your grace and your working in us, will do our part. God, we don't want to fail. We don't want to come short. And so enable us by the Holy Spirit and work mightily within us so that we might do our part. And then we pray that as the bearings are put in place, that you will guide us clearly and safely and directly in the direction of the mission you've given us. When we arrive at that place, O oh Lord, be glorified. And on the journey, be glorified in our lives and in our church as we honor you together. Let's sing together the chorus with our heads bowed. In our church, let's say it this way, in your church, Lord, be glorified. In your church, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. be pleased to answer that prayer in the fullness that you've promised beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us in Jesus name Amen